Well, good morning. My name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I suddenly got really quiet, but you may have noticed it's not always really quiet. We love having the kids in the service with us, but it also means that the back tends to be a more boisterous region of the church. So if you um, find that distracting or difficult, you are welcome to scoot up. There are always chairs up at the front and extra chairs. There's no shame in that. So just issuing the invitation now, you can even come and sit at my feet like my children do when they learn from me. I'm kidding. Uh, They don't do that at all. Well, this morning I'm going to preach on that parable that David just read for us, the parable of the prodigal son, which whether you grew up in church or whether you never go to church, this is one of those scriptures that everybody seems to know. And it's also one of the places in scripture where the love of God the Father is just so plain and so clear. It's so powerful that I I kind of want to get out of its way. This morning, I just want to hold this story out to us and let it speak for itself. Because when this story speaks, what it has to say to us is that we can always come home. We can always come home. And that it is God himself who gets us there. So let's start at the very beginning, a beginning that sometimes gets overlooked in a rush to get into the story itself. Verse 1 says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. We hear this so often in scripture that people are upset that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners that it's easy to sort of brush it aside and ignore it. But I want us to remember for a minute what this really means. Tax collectors were collaborators with the empire. They were the ones who were profiting more than almost anyone off of the Roman occupation. They would extort the local people. They would line their own pockets. They would prop up this whole system of Roman occupation that people hated. And then there's the sinners. Now, these are Gentiles and people who are outside the Jewish law. It's also all sorts of immoral and distasteful people. And it's a catchphrase for people who were assumed to be sinners, wrongly, because they had some disability or some disease or had fallen on some sort of hardship. So already in verse 1, we catch a glimpse of the world that this parable is speaking into. A world of tax collectors and sinners is a world where empires occupy land and exploit people. It's a world where some people become complicit and greedy in that exploitation. They make it worse. It's a place where there are deep divides in society between all different kinds of people, and these divides feel like they can't be reconciled. It's a world where there is human sin, and there's also accusations of human sin, and all the damage and the shame and the isolation that that brings. And if we take the lost and found language of the parable and we put it into this world where it's being spoken, we might say that this is a world of systemic lostness. It's a world where people and institutions and systems and nations, where it's all lost. It's all estranged from God. It's all really far from what God made the world and people and society to be. 
And in this world, the religious leaders are complaining that Jesus isn't playing by its rules. He's not doing the right stuff. He's not upholding the right categories. He's welcoming and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And those are really significant acts in this culture. It's more than just tolerating these people. Jesus is deeply accepting them. He's welcoming them to his table and into his fellowship. He's basically saying, you are my friends. And that makes people around him grumble. And so in response to their grumbling, the text says Jesus tells them this parable. And then what follows is the rest of Luke chapter 15. You might have noticed that was a long reading, but it actually wasn't all of Luke 15. This parable that Jesus refers to is actually three parables, all in a row, all parables of lost and found, and we only read the last one. So together, these three form this one big, cohesive, multi-layered parable, and that big parable is the answer to the scribes and the Pharisees' grumbling. So I don't want to spend too much time on those first two parables that we didn't read, but I do want to just remind us what they are so that when we get to the third one, which is today's text, we have a picture of the fullness of lostness and foundness that Jesus is laying out for us here. So the first parable that Jesus tells is the story of a hundred sheep, The shepherd has this hundred sheep, and he leaves the 99 to chase after one that has wandered away and gotten lost in the wilderness. And then when the shepherd finds this lost sheep, he carries it home on his shoulders. And then he throws a party, and we read, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then the second story is a woman who has 10 coins, and she loses one. So she turns on a light, She sweeps her house, and she searches until she finds the lost coin. And then she throws a party. And then we read again, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. But how is a lost sheep like a sinner who repents? How is a lost coin like a sinner who repents? What sin has a sheep or a coin committed? And what can they possibly do to repent? We start to see from these parables that lostness is something bigger than just individual acts of sin. Lostness is also this state of being. It's living in that world of systemic lostness that I talked about a minute ago. To be lost is to be profoundly estranged from God far away from our true home, isolated and vulnerable like a sheep in the wilderness. It's to have our real worth hidden, like a coin that is in some dusty corner of the house. And so in both of those parables, to repent is just to let ourselves be found. It's to allow ourselves to be carried home. It's to allow our worth to be rediscovered and dusted off. It's to allow ourselves to be restored and even to allow ourselves to be celebrated. We see in the sheep and the coin that we can always come home. And we see so clearly in those parables that it is God himself who gets us there. God the shepherd, God the sweeping woman. 
And then here in the final story, God the loving Father. Finally, we get to today's passage, the third of this parable that is really three parables. And as this story opens, the younger son asks for his share of the property. Now, under Jewish law, the younger son would be entitled to a third of his father's estates once the father dies. But asking for this while his father is still alive is incredibly hurtful. It's incredibly shameful. It's essentially saying to his father, I can't wait for you to die. I want the wealth you have for me more than I want you. And that wealth that he wants isn't in cash, it's in land and homes and animals. It's actually this abundant life that he already inhabits just by living as his father's son. As long as he is home, all those riches are his. Not to hoard and not to spend, but to actually live in and enjoy, and even to cultivate and to grow. But he wants those riches without the constraints of his relationship with his dad. He wants what feels like more control and more freedom. And even though it must have caused him so much pain, the father gives him what he asks for. Within a few days, the younger son sells off a third of his father's estate. He basically pulls that wealth out from under his family. And this wealth that's taken generations to cultivate and to grow and to build, he cashes out in just a few days. And then he takes off for a far country. And when he gets there, he blows through all that cash he just liquidated. He spends his money on what the text calls dissolute living. And we can just imagine what that means. So now he is alone and vulnerable. He is far from home. He is making his way in this world that doesn't know him, that doesn't care about him. He is really lost. But unlike the coin and unlike the sheep, he has gotten himself here. The son's lostness is entirely of his own doing. He has sinned. But then famine strikes. And then we see just how lost the son really is. Because famine is a reminder of the lostness of the whole world. The lostness of a world estranged from its creator. Where this world that God made for peace and flourishing is vulnerable to the forces of death. And crops fail. And people starve. And the son in this world is starving too. And he's scared that he will die too. So he gets this job feeding pigs, what would have been shameful and unclean animals for him. And not only does he feed the pigs, serve the pigs, but he actually wishes he were a pig because at least the pigs have enough to eat. But the text says, no one gave him anything. Back at home, he had this father who would give him anything he asked for, even when it hurt even when it was ridiculous. And he left that to go to this world where no one will give him anything. So he makes a decision. He decides he's going to return home, but not home home. He's not going to go home as a son. He's going to work there. He's going to earn his keep. So he's going to go as a hired hand. Even now, there is still this little piece of him that is just determined to make his own way. 
and to deal with his shame and his hunger on his own terms. So he practices this speech that sets out the terms that he's going home on. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And then he sets off. And then we know what happens next. Reading from verse 20. But while he was still off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son starts to make his speech that he's been practicing, but his father won't even let him finish. He's not going to let his son live as a hired hand. Instead, he calls for his best robe and his signet ring and his sandals and for a party. All the markers that this boy is his son, that he is restored to his family, that he is really home. And with all this, the son relents. He doesn't finish his speech. He stops trying to make his own way. He gives up on this hired hand plan. Like the sheep and the coin, he allows himself to be found. He allows himself to be restored and to be loved and even to be celebrated. Now, many of you know my story that I didn't grow up going to church. And the first person who told me about Jesus in a way that I found even remotely interesting was this long, red-haired guy that I went to prom with. I married him later. He's on Zoom this morning. Uh, But when I first started going to church, when I first started trying to learn about what he was telling me, for the longest time, I used to cry every Sunday, especially at the singing. And I wasn't sad, and I wasn't like emotionally overwhelmed. I just couldn't help it. I would find these tears welling up in me every Sunday, always at the singing, just all those voices. And I realized I just finally felt found. I felt safe. I felt at rest. And I really felt at home in this celebration of the lost and found. I think the best word for those tears that were always welling up was just joy. And this parable would end like that, with this communal joy, with celebration and singing, if it weren't for the older brother. The older brother is out in the fields. He's probably overseeing his father's servants there. But he hears and notices the commotion, and when he starts to come close and finds out what it's all about, he's really angry. He's really bitter and resentful that a party is being thrown to welcome his wayward brother. And I would be too. (laughs) He refuses to go into his own home. He refuses to be reconciled. He refuses to celebrate. And one more time, we see this father again go out again to an estranged son. The passage says he pleads with him, and it's the same verb that was in that 2 Corinthians passage that Juliet read, where it said, we plead you, be reconciled to God. And the father is pleading the same thing. Come home, be reconciled, be a son, be a brother. 
And that is where this parable ends, on this cliffhanger. Will this lost son allow himself to be found? Will this son come home? And now we start to see how this parable that is really three parables is all a response to that original complaint against Jesus that he welcomes and eats with sinners. Because the parables make clear, yeah, exactly. The kingdom of God is all about welcoming and eating with sinners. The kingdom of God is like this party of the lost and found. It's this joyful reality where God is restoring everything that has been lost, where he is renewing and remaking what was always meant to be a home and a family. But we are so used to living in this world of lostness. We are so used to making our own way in this world where no one gives us anything. It's easy to forget what our home is like. It's easy to feel bitter and resentful. And so this cliffhanger at the end, it's an invitation and a question, certainly to the older brother, but also to the scribes and the Pharisees, and also to us. Will we come home? Will we yield to this Father who is relentlessly seeking us? Will we allow ourselves to be found? Will we let ourselves be loved and be restored and even be celebrated? We can always come home. We can always come home. And it is God himself who will get us there. We'll take a moment of silence. <clears throat>